Hey everyone, welcome to episode 281 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I had the pleasure of talking with one of my favorite nature photographers out of Utah, and that is Eric Erlenbush. Eric and I had a wonderful conversation about his approach to making unique photographs, including stories about how he created three of his favorite images. We also talked about his experience working as the gallery director for Thomas Mengelson. Before we get started on the episode, I wanted to tell you about my favorite platform for sharing, viewing, and discussing all things nature photography, and that would be Nature Photographers Network. NPN has really taken off in the past few months with new exclusive articles, awesome Ask Me Anything chats with industry-leading artists, critique forums where some of the best photographers in the business offer critique on your images, and incredible discounts on software, tutorials, and a lot more. All of this comes without the ridiculous algorithm-driven video-forced platform flaws that are found on Facebook and Instagram. If this sounds like something that you'd like to be a part of, we would love to have you there and we have good news for you. You can join NPN for just $49 per year by going to npn.link forward slash f-stop. That's npn.link forward slash f-stop. You also get 10% off of your subscription by using the code PAIN10. I hope to see you there. Okay, let's get to the show. Right, Eric Erlenbush, it's great to have you here. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. I'm a huge fan of your photography, and I know a lot of the former guests that we've had on the podcast are also huge fans of your work. So, you know, people rec- probably will recognize you by your Instagram handle, which is, what is it, EE Visuals? Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. You Just, have a lot of fans out there, my friend. Oh, no, thanks, Matt. Yeah, my last name doesn't really like flow for a photography name, so I figured I'd shorten that a little. But yeah, thank you. Yeah, of course. No, it, I don't know. Maybe that would be kind of cool. Er, Eric Erlen Bush <laughs> photographer. No, you're right. It's too much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, man, so for people that have been living under a rock and have never heard of you before, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Cool. Well, thanks again for letting me uh, jump on here and talk with you. And um, my name is Eric Erlenbush. So I'm a full-time professional photographer out of Southern Utah. I currently live um, outside of Zion National Park in Laverkin, Utah. So within a half hour or so of Zion. Um, and I've been doing photography, you know, more or less going on nine years, but as far as full-time uh, about like going on three years now. Um, and yeah, Southern Utah is home. Um, I've kind of previously lived in other parts of Utah and was born and raised in Montana, in Western Montana, and then spent some time living in the Northwest out of Seattle uh, for about six years. But yeah, Southern Utah is home and I don't see myself really going anywhere else at this point. So Nice. My friend Kane and I stayed at a like an Airbnb with his family and my family in Laverkin uh, last spring, which was a lot of fun. We didn't do any photography, but we played a lot of ping pong, and drink some beer. Oh, fun. There's <laughs> actually an Airbnb right next door to me here. So so I don't think you were there. Otherwise, I probably would have seen you, but no. <laughs> yeah, you would have recognized my truck for sure. Yeah, we'll come on down and do some photography the next time. So Yeah, I'll 
definitely take you up on that offer. I, I still haven't really hardly done any photography in Zion, which is, I'm pretty sure it's like a capital punishment type situation for a landscape photographer, but. Yeah, you got to get out here and try just, uh, you can talk to Kane about his last trip and then maybe we'll, we'll find some other places. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, it's certainly in my mind, it's just, I mean, I spent time there. I just didn't take a camera out, but it's, there's so much to do there. It's uh, pretty amazing to, to like see it and live near it and see kind of some of the changes that occur season to season, you know, much like you do in the mountains or any other location. Um, this little corner of Utah is a, a special little place in the world. And yeah, it's neat to see kind of through the different seasons. And, you know, as you spend time here, you get to explore some of the nuances just like everywhere else. And that's when, you know, as we'll probably get to like, that's when the magic happens. So, yeah, well, we're, we're, we have like a, a thousand topics to cover and I'm excited to talk about all of them. So <laughs> let's just, uh, let's just dive right into this thing here. So, you know, one of the things that I really love about your photography is that you take a lot of really unique images, which is quite refreshing in today's uh, photography scene. I really want to talk to you about your approach to creating those images in the field. Uh, Do you think you could maybe walk us through what that usually looks like for you? Yeah, uh, thanks. And, you know, I guess like just to qualify that a little, you know, we, we all like look at a lot of photographs, right? Like you know photographs of Zion. Um, it's a little difficult to go out and like repeat some of these photographs and then try to put any kind of personality or style or stamp on any of these. So, you know, that alone leads to like the desire to want to go out and do something either different that someone hasn't done before. Uh, maybe it could be a different view. It could be a different condition. Maybe it's even like something more, you know, on the personal side, like more um, based on your experience. And so, you know, by looking at all this other photography and like knowing what's out there, that's kind of like a good roadmap. It tells you, you know, okay, like we don't have to do that stuff. Um, We don't have to stand at this viewpoint. We don't need to like photograph this certain thing, but it kind of also then follows up with some curiosity, like wonder what it looks like in some different conditions, wonder what it looks like from a different angle, wonder what, you know, if this area is so rich in something, what about like this next Canyon over, there's gotta be something cool over there. You know, so starting off with just like a general curiosity of like what else is out there, um, I think that goes a long way. Um, you know, I also, you know, like yourself, spend a lot of time in nature. And when you're out there in nature and anyone who's spent time in nature, you see it do cool things all the time that you're like, oh, man, I, I didn't quite get that on camera. Or I didn't even like it happened so fast I couldn't even get it. You know, these little glimpses here and there. Um But if you're out in nature enough, you start seeing these things and you start noticing these little, maybe either nuanced things that happen. They maybe like lend a little bit of any idea. You know, you see a cool tree with interesting branches. You're like, well, I've seen 10,000 trees this week on Instagram, but I I haven't seen trees that do this, you know, or I haven't seen them in like this kind of light before. Um, You know, it's just like something interesting stands out you know, that goes a long way to like starting that creative process and then just following your curiosity and saying like, well, maybe this could be an image just because you've never seen that before. You know, like I have a, I have a photo of a, say like a dead tree just sitting on slick rock, you know, it wasn't in blue hour or anything, but this tree is like blue. And it's like, well, why is that blue? You know, outside of the frame, like there was only one little cloud in the sky and it just happened to fall right over me. The rest of the sky, 360 degrees around me is blue. 
that ambient sky is reflecting off of this thing, but it looks like it's in the shadow and shade. That that image I call the blue octopus, and it just like is a blue tree sitting on this orange slick rock, you know, taken kind of mid-afternoon. Um, yeah. So just kind of observing those kind of conditions goes a long way to like ultimately help creating those kind of images. I thought you could only take landscape photos in golden hour. Well, you know, uh, yeah, <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> but there's also no, like there's also like other hours that you can also do landscape photography. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just I'm just playing it. Yeah, exactly. Funny, I did a I did a hike with Eric Bennett a few months ago, and uh, we were actually in Capitol Reef and. Uh, every time I'd come across a scene that was like, you know, harshly lit. And I was like, oh, you know, the light's not looking too good for that scene. And he's like, there's no such thing as bad light. Oh, I'm yeah. like, I know, I know, I know. But like for that particular photo, it's not working right this second. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I was just out hiking with him actually like a couple of weeks ago. We were down in this little canyon and I was trying to get him to photograph some harsh light, like pointing out some direct sunlight on some things. I was like, oh, yeah, shoot that or shoot that, shoot that. I'm like, <laughs> just That's kept reminding him. I was like, no, it's not. You can shoot all times a day. Shoot that. And it's like full blown out in harsh light, you know, but he didn't buy it. Yeah. I love what you said, though, earlier about um, the curiosity aspect, because for me, I think uh, and I'm guessing it's a lot for you as well, that. Um, a lot of my photography now is more reactionary kind of to just what I'm seeing. And I would describe that approach to being like, okay, something's caught my attention. Okay. What is it about that thing that caught my attention and how can I focus in on honing in on that particular feeling or that moment or that element in order to convey what it is that I thought was interesting about it? at first glance. And I think that sounds simple, but you know, obviously it's, it's not that easy, but I think that's a great starting point. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot that goes into that. Like, I think that's kind of the basis of where the actual image making takes off. You know, you have to notice something first. Once you notice it, that's when you're like, okay, what did I notice? What, how is it relating to everything else? Is there something here or is there not something here. You know, 90% of the times there isn't actually something there. But you go through that same process and you know, you you identify like things that may be behind it, in front of it, what's it doing? Is it going to be better in five minutes? Is it going to be like worse in five minutes? Is now the time? Um, you know, and you go through this whole like checklist. Sometimes that can happen like in like split second in your head. Other times, you know, like it passes all those things and you're like, okay, well, like now it's time to dive in and like look left, look right, look up, look down, you know, like think about some different camera techniques that you can use. And yeah, but that's a, I think that's where it all starts. Like you got to like see it out there first. Yeah. Another technique that I've been trying to do more lately too, is like I'll notice things that, you know, because of light or maybe the texture or patterns or whatever that I find interesting, but then I quickly have been, you know, make an assessment that, okay, this isn't working for whatever reason in this particular spot. But now I've made kind of like a, a visual kind of record of what about that particular scene I liked. And then you can be more cognizant of something similar that you can photograph later on. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily have to be that exact scene, but something like it. 
Yeah, that's a that's a good point because sometimes you come across, say, like you're going through an aspen forest, you know, and there's some like light coming down. It hits a couple leaves, and you're like, "Wow, that's really cool!" How like these couple leaves are lit up against this dark background, but maybe like the full composition isn't fully in light. But you're like, "Okay, well that works," but just not this full scene. And then you're like walking a little ways later or a little ways down the trail, and you come across like another example of something very similar, a cool composition, fully lit, you know, dark background. And you're like, ah, that's the one. Like you had that right. mental checklist or that mental note, that little record from before. And it helped you identify that scene like much, much faster that second time. Yeah. Not only that, but like going forward, you can start seeing that stuff. I remember one of the first times I hung out with Eric Bennett, you know, I was talking about kind of what we're talking about and, He's like, yeah, you just got to get better at seeing, which I think it's all practice-based. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. You got you to practice and you got to be out in the field and you got to like kind of warm up, you know, much like an athlete does almost. And you got to, yeah, walk around, look at stuff, try stuff with your phone, do whatever. But you got to like get in that zone of seeing and looking. Yeah, and, fa- and failure too. Yeah, 95, like, yeah, 90 plus percent of that, like you're going to see something that doesn't work out, you know, move on to the next thing. Yep, yep. One of the other things that I really like about your work is um, it seems like you're very open to just kind of trying new stuff, you know, experimentation. I'm curious what role experimentation plays in your approach to making images. Uh, you know, that's a good question. Um, the, I think it's, it goes a long way and I think it really kind of unlocks some things in, you know, maybe potential that you have or that I have like for images or projects that maybe I didn't know about it first. Um, you know, as an example, like I'm in the middle of shooting this project. Um, it's based on Zion National Park and it's a, it's a series of some double exposures with, uh, the Zion skylines kind of mix and matched. And, you know, it was just one day I randomly like tried this just to experiment. And I was like, wait a second, I got a couple of images that I really, really enjoy out of these like conditions and this technique. And so I'm going to start applying those to like some other forms and other skylines in Zion. Soon enough, you know, it started creating this series. I started going out and looking for these things. And then it was, oh, it was uh, probably a month or two. I was over in Zion and I was shooting something and I was like, well, wait a second. I was doing the same, that same technique, these double exposures of the sky, of the skyline in Zion. And I was like, wait a second, like this one starts to look like an eye and it's the same as kind of I did before. And so out of that series of experimentations, came another like series that I'm continuing to work on. And I've got several images of showcasing like these hidden eyes throughout Zion um, that I'm still in the middle of working on. I didn't have that idea when I started. I was just like experimenting. It created like a series. And then from that, it created kind of this series within a series of making me look at like somewhere super popular, like literally with a, you know, an eye. Like, um, so yeah, I mean, experimentation, like everything, um, try like some stuff doesn't work um you know you can like experiment all day long and you're like well that's a cool technique and it just doesn't really make like an image like it doesn't like sit it doesn't do anything um but yeah like try why not yeah i was actually i was curious about how you're doing those uh zion skyline images and make sense that they're double exposures for whatever reason i thought they were just um done in photoshop <laughs> no, yeah, double exposure. Like you got to hold the camera like you know normal one way, and then you got to look like a clown and like flip it over <laughs> and hold it upside down and do that, or like shoot with your left thumb. 
you know, like cameras upside down and do it. And then, um, yeah, you get some weird looks by people if, you know, you're in a popular place or whatever, but, um, whatever, (laughs) I get used to it. Yeah. So what, um, you know, we don't typically talk a lot about gear or technique in this podcast, but I am curious for that particular technique, what, uh, like, what is your camera? Cause I can't do that on my camera. Uh, like most Nikons have those built in, you know, Nikons can do multiple exposures. So I shoot Nikon and like, um, gotcha. they have the multiple exposure function, you know, some of them even allow up to say like nine exposures, you know, I think like some of the Canons have that in as well. I don't think yeah. Sony's have that though. No, thanks yeah. for the reminder. Uh huh. Yeah. But it's like super fun to just have that feature kind of built in, you know, anywhere from one to nine exposures, you know, and, um, I don't, you know, when you, when it starts getting like too many of them, it starts to get really messy and you got to be careful because that's also a technique that's been done to death. Um, so yeah, like it's a fun feature. Yeah. Does it, does it show you the results just like a normal image is like you take yeah. one, you see the image. Okay. Then you take another and it shows you how they're superimposed. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, the output is like that's a, cool. is a stack raw file on there. So, oh, wow. Yeah, that, that does sound fun. Yeah, you should just switch over again. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. for that function. No. Yeah, no, just doing Photoshop. I I can I can just see the look on my wife's face now. You're gonna go back to Nikon, really? Yeah. <laughs> no, just like just stick to stick to the computer for that. You're good. Oh. <laughs> Well, well, yeah, no, it's it's a fun like project to continue to work on, you know. And I think like under all or under everything there, it forces you to look in at a at a very popular location in a completely different way and kind of look for things that maybe your eyes can't actually see. But it's literally two photos from the same place, you know, from like just flipping the camera, and then it like makes you look at the place you're in in a completely different way and. I don't know if photography can do that, then that's cool with me. No, I think it's, I mean, whatever, whatever gets you to be creative and, you know, I think experimentation is an awesome way to do it. I, I remember the first time I tried ICM, I, you know, you, you look like a total fool out in the forest because you're like <laughs> holding your camera and you're moving it around. And, but when you get this, when you get that one image that actually works out, you're like, yes, I did it. Yeah. But you got to try 500 times and then, then you'll do one. <laughs> Yeah, but it is it is fun to try. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. But you know, like experiment. I mean, if it there's a lot of different cameras can do a lot of different things for those three simple functions of ISO, aperture, and shutter speed. You know, um, there's a lot to play around with. That's true. Yeah, I mean, my my favorite tool for experimentation is shutter speed. I mean, it's yeah, you can do so many cool things with it, whether it be moving water or still water or the sky, the clouds, like leaves. I mean, really pretty much anything shutter speed can complete, completely transform an image. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And when you're, you know, when you're out in nature, like it's usually in motion of some sort, you know, and we're sitting here capturing still images and trying to create some sort of flow, which you, I mean, you can do, but like there's that other dynamic element in nature too. So yeah. Yeah. Play around with it. See where, see where that goes. Yeah. All right. Well, Let's shift gears a little bit. Um, this is not a question I ask very often, but I'm very curious to hear your take on it. And it, it's very simple. What are your goals with your photography? Um, you know, I would say it's pretty simple. Um, you know, I see photography as a journey. I see it as kind of a light, lifelong pursuit. 
I don't have goals of like, you know, what I'm going to be doing in five years with photography or 10 years. Like I'm going to be photographing for the rest of my life. I'm going to try to produce like images that are personal, personal and meaningful to me at that time in my life. Um, you know, and keep going with that, you know, as far as like professional goals with that, you know, I mean, there's, um, I don't know, at some point, maybe a book, you know, it's been pretty inspiring to see all the people putting out books lately. Um, I think that's a real kind of stamp on your photographic journey and seeing like different milestones or different like periods throughout your journey. So I, I see that like coming, you know, at some point in the future and nothing's in the works right now. Um, you know, I'd like to get some work in some actual like galleries of some sort of, I've got a couple kind of in my sites, um, that tends to be more project based, I think, or more like series based, you know, related images. Um, mm -hmm. And as far as, you know, some additional like recognition, you know, say I, I would love to be as like selected as one of the artists in residence at one of the national parks or monuments. Um, oh, yeah. I've, I've applied with Capitol Reef numerous times with some different ideas, you know, kind of push their boundaries of what they're looking for. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep trying with those. And, um, I think one of your previous guests, David Hunter, I, I can't yeah, remember David. if he's been on, um, but he's, he's been a huge help and uh, inspiration for me, like giving me a lot of insight into the artist and residency programs. Um, yeah, I think he's done three of them. Yeah. Yeah. I know he's done out of the craters of the moon, I think. And I actually met him in person up in Capitol reef and I was supposed to meet up with him to shoot like two weeks ago, but it didn't work out on our schedules, but yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's a, it's a great way to like get involved with the parks and, you know, help raise awareness for these places that we love. Um, at the same time as like education for the community and um, yeah, just kind of showcasing what photography can be or like other parts of photography instead of just, you know, that right now they feature a lot of like night sky photography, which is cool, but they've been doing that over and over and over. So it's kind of played out, but. Um, right. There's yeah, only so, we'll see. so many ways you can do night photography. Yeah. And like I, like a project I had proposed to them, you know, so I was like, well, they've got a million other night sky photographers. So I'm going to showcase, like, I'm just going to photograph on either the crescent moon or the full moon in um, Capitol reef and kind of show that relationship with the night sky. Cause I don't know if you've ever like any, again, any time outside, like that night sky is impressive. So is the moonrise, like in the desert. Yeah. It's, it kind of knocks your socks off. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's good to hear that you're pretty open minded with your goals and, but you do have some things in mind. I, it's, um, <clears throat> that's one of the things that for myself, I, I've been struggling to kind of answer. So I've been trying to ask more people, like, what do you want to do with your work? Cause like, I, yeah. haven't figured it out yet <laughs> yeah you know and like and like for yourself like you keep building and you build like a podcast you build like all these things on your website and different avenues to kind of explore and like yeah you gotta kind of step back and ask that question every once in a while like what's maybe what's your goals or what are you trying to reach like in the future and um you know i think for me is just like to maintain the journey of photography right um, obviously to make the living with it but that's you know i, I think that's kind of a separate kind of arena for goals. Um, there's the artistic side of goals, you know, and I'm just, uh, yeah, overall just kind of looking at it like a, a journey, a lifelong thing. Like I'm not going to stop next year. So, yeah, no, I think that's a good point too, is um, how can you keep photography interesting and exciting so that you want to continue to do it? And I think, I think that's a 
pretty great goal right there. And there's certainly plenty of different avenues to take in order to reach that goal. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, uh, I think it's also good to keep in mind that, you know, goals can shift, obviously, but like, so can your direction in photography. There's, you see a lot of people kind of sticking with one genre, you know, through their, their entire, entire career, but there's also a lot of people that kind of shift styles completely, or they shift like maybe subject matter within the same genre. Um, that's okay too. I mean, photography, if it's going to be personable or personal and meaningful, it better shift with time. Cause we certainly do. Right. <clears throat> yeah. If you're not taking <clears throat> different images after five, 10 years, there's, Right. <laughs> you, might, you might have a problem. I don't know. Maybe yeah, not. More I don't know. Really interested in that one thing, which is good too. But you know, after twenty years, you're probably not the same person as you were twenty years ago. I'm not. Like, yeah, it's it's actually really funny because, as you probably know, a lot of my photography, at least probably the first seven years of it, was all mountain based. You know, like yeah. climb mountains, take pictures on the way. Um, showcase beautiful scenes from my hikes and blah, blah, blah. And just this last weekend, I did, I climbed three mountains and I barely took any photos because it was just like, whatever. So, oh, you know, so I thought that was, um, I tried not to think too much about it, but at the same time, it was kind of depressing in a weird way. Like, like that yeah. wasn't exciting anymore for some weird reason. Did you have your camera with you? Oh yeah, of course. I, I even drug my son out of bed at, <laughs> three in the morning and we climbed to the top of a mountain at sunrise and yeah it's just um i mean i took photos but it wasn't as yeah, yeah. i wasn't i didn't feel as like driven i guess is maybe the right way to put it yeah that's interesting you know well were, were there like other scenes that you tried to like go after kind of in route or you know like i know you've been focusing on a lot of smaller scenes like and obviously there's wildflowers out there right now so like were you yeah. kind of looking at some of that kind of stuff or a little bit? Um, not a ton. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's like also kind of why like some of those photos didn't come, you know, cause it's definitely a two way street. Like you gotta like also like be in that mindset and be in that zone of like wanting to look for that kind of stuff. Right. Um, no, that's I mean, a good point. There, just cause they're there. doesn't mean there's a photo there. Like you gotta be for there. Sure. Yeah, no, that's a good point. You, you have to bring something to the table. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, no, it's um, it's just part of the journey, though. I'm like, I'm not like worried or upset about it. It's just like an interesting reflection that I made. Like, hmm, that was interesting, you know. Yeah, you know, and, and give yourself some time too. Like, it's you know, if it is like a journey to you, then it's gonna take some time. And like these transition periods, you know, they take time to to fully transition. And yeah, we kind of lose sight. You know, we always think like, oh, maybe you gotta like be publishing images constantly to be making any kind of progress as photographers, that's not really the case, you know? And I was, I think I was just listening to your podcast with Andrew that came out. Um, you were mentioning like, maybe you get out like once or twice a month or something like that to take photos. I mean, there's, there's times that, that I do that same thing. Like I only get out like maybe two or three times a month, you know, but then you, you start looking back at the course of a year and you're like, wait a second, I've only gone out a couple times, but those times have been way more productive and you start looking at it in like a longer time period instead of just like, oh, shoot, I didn't get any images, you know, on my weekend backpacking trip, you know. But, right. Okay. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, no, it's it's all good. It's always good um, to look back and remember, like, you know, not every outing has to be productive. It, mm -hmm. it's, 
I think that's a trap that people fall into as well. And you start to force images and they don't work. And, you know, I think. Oh, it, yeah. And if like every photographer out there, you know, could go out and get a portfolio shot on every single trip, you know, uh, name that person, you know, doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, along the same lines of goals, I'm curious what your methods are for bridging the gap between what your goals are and where you're at today. Yeah, so I guess that's another good question. Uh, how do you get there? Like, <laughs> um, well, you know, like for the artist in resident stuff, you know, constantly applying and trying to, you know, think of different projects that maybe aren't you know, maybe something that stands out kind of gets attention like that or some unique way to offer, um, uh, like what they're, what those places are looking for and, you know, using those opportunities to, I guess, like continue to build an artistic resume of sort, um, you know, galleries, I think like that's definitely, uh, has to be a two way street. Like you need to be, um, interested in the gallery as much as they need to be interested in you. And so it's been a process of trying to like narrow down a few. I mean, I've seen some galleries that I'm not interested in. Um, I haven't put a ton of effort into this, you know, so far, but I, I see that kind of coming in the future. Um, you know, as far as like a book, I don't know. I think that's, you know, I'm not even going to worry about that right now. I'm going to let the images kind of come and, you know, maybe the idea for something actually to say instead of just, a book full of images, um, you know, maybe there has, there has to be a little bit something else there for me to like want to pursue that. And so I think that's going to, that'll come with time. Um, so as far as bridging the gap, I mean, just constantly just working, you know, like, uh, keeping photography relevant for me, keeping it interesting, keeping it passionate, like keeping my passion alive for it and, um, trying these different avenues to, to, yeah, share my work somehow like that. What are some other ways that you uh, keep the interest in photography alive? Because um, what I found is for a lot of people is they they either burn out quickly and they become disinterested very quickly, or you know maybe maybe they just they get tired of it. I'm just curious, like what are you, what are the ways you you try to stay focused on it? Um, there's a couple different ways. I think like I get. I mean, it, this the first part definitely applies for me. Um, I live in a pretty dynamic place uh, as far as landscape goes. Um, an hour to the north is 10,000 feet with aspens and like cedar breaks. Um, half hour away is Zion and, you know, maybe two hours away is the Grand Canyon. Like it, it, it goes from Mojave Desert up to, you know, 10 or 11,000 feet. Like the landscape's insane here. Um, so that alone will keep you interested. Like you're tired of shooting red rocks, go shoot aspens, tired of shooting snow, go down into the desert, you know? Um, so number one, like, I guess keeping the landscape fresh, you know, and for people who aren't in a dynamic landscape, like I can totally understand how that can be an issue. Cause you know, if it's just streams and trees all day long, like what else is there? But, or if you live in Texas, yeah, I don't know what you would do in Texas, Brie, like, <laughs> shooting from your backyard no um you know no there's places everywhere and there's there's even images out of you know texas that like whether it's big bend or some of the lakes that have these dead trees you know like the the popular one on instagram that's not the only lake in texas with uh, trees um there's a lot of a lot of other ones out there but um no stay interested in like exploring kind of the areas wherever you are um 
you know, and for here, you know, with a dynamic landscape, it, it makes that easier to like poke around in some different areas that I haven't been. Um, but I think another way, and I've had some conversations with people like recently about this, um, you know, this like creative burnout, like this creative drive, how do you keep that kind of going and fresh? Um, one possible way is to, you know, change your camera. Um, different cameras see in different ways. They allow you to see in different ways. Um, so I personally shoot, I have uh, four different cameras. Um, I have a DSLR that I use, and I also have a 35 millimeter film camera that I use. And I have two different pinhole medium format cameras that I use, one that only shoots square and one is a panoramic 6x12. Depending on how I'm feeling, I can you know choose one of these cameras, take them out, and the, the the approach and the style with each one of those cameras is so different. You know, I'm the same person, but it it helps me unlock like a different way to interpret the landscape or interact with it. Um, say like you know this little six by six pinhole. There's no viewfinder. There's no batteries. There's like it's f 138. Like everything is a couple seconds exposure, and because it's square, there's no like vertical or horizontal. It eliminates everything. And so what's left, like just shutter speed and even composition is kind of a guess because there's no viewfinder. I mean, I'm still out in the same landscape, but I'm using a camera that like has way different um, abilities and limitations than, you know, say a DSLR does. And it unlocks so much, you know, like it allows you to try more. It allows you to get different perspectives. You can physically put the camera in places you can't put your other camera, Um, you know, like, and it's easy to do. Um, I think a lot of people would be really surprised at what they could create just by switching a type of camera. Um, it's still the same subject, still an amazing experience in nature, still makes beautiful images. You can still print them, but they look different. They feel different. Your experience shooting them is different. And that has a lot, you know, if you're trying that stuff, it has a lot of opportunity to unlock um, or reignite some passion. I think, uh, Focusing in on projects too is probably another approach that people can try because it kind of requires you to have a little bit more discipline and gives you something to shoot for as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I was saying with that, like Zion stuff, I mean, I've like right now, if I were to go to Zion, it's clear and it's 100 degrees. Like there's nothing interesting really going on except for reflected light, which is like every single day. But, you know, I have like this other project I can go work on and like, I'm excited anytime I go to Zion. I don't care if it's like, if I have to step out of the car in a parking lot or if I have to go on a hike or just wander somewhere, you know, on a paved trail, I don't care. Like you're out there, you're outside in nature and there's, you know, this like other interest is kind of reignited. So yeah, it's this focus on a project is, is an amazing example. Um, I I don't know about for you, but for me, uh, another kind of thing I like to do is I like to write and I like to read. So, you know, whether that's other people's articles on photography or, you know, on landscape magazine or elements magazine or NPN articles, like whatever it is, like I really enjoy just engaging my mind in photography, but not, not necessarily having to do anything with you know, making the photo, but just subjects that are related to what we're doing. I think that's fun. You know, like Guy Tal, he's always mixing yeah. in philosophy yeah. um, into his writing. <laughs> which I'm, mixing in photos. <laughs> yeah, which you know what I'm saying? Like he's, that probably does help him though to stay very 
creatively focused and um, engaged with photography. I think if you try to marry it up with other disciplines, whether that's writing or whatever, I think that can help too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I enjoy reading about photography a lot because I think like you get to hear whether it's people's thought processes or maybe their stories or like some of the, the theory with photography or, you know, all these different subjects on what it means, you know, and there's been, it's kind of a popular medium. You know, like William Neal has been writing a column and outdoor photographer for decades now. Um, you know, Guy Tal writes regularly on OnlineScape. You've been doing those articles in OnlineScape for quite a while now. Um, I, I think that's an interesting area of photography because, you know, a lot of people, they don't get out and do photography every single day or every week or every month. Like, how else do you engage your brain? How else do you engage and think about and write about, read about, like, stay inspired from, you know, photography? Right. Or yeah. listen to podcasts. Podcasts, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. like on the way to photo trips and on the way home from photo trips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I listen to my podcast when I'm working out or like hiking or walking, you know, like not so much in wilderness, but like if I'm, you know, if I'm just doing like a 30 minute little walk around the neighborhood, yeah, throw on a podcast, put it on speed 1.5, 1.25 oh, nice. maybe. Yeah. I think there of the most years I've listened to while I've been watering the garden or something like that. That's my go-to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is a little bit of a different question, um, but it's somewhat related uh, how would you personally define success in photography? Uh, I don't know. I think like that kind of falls into those two camps again. Um, you know, obviously there's like the commercial side of things, which that's kind of subjective for everyone. But I think, you know, like I kind of making images that I, I guess just that I want to make or that maybe some images that I didn't think that I could make and still keeping that passion alive and keeping that journey going. And I think that it, it, there's no, you know, much like in the act of photography itself, there's not a destination. It's kind of the whole process. It's, it's the whole journey to that place. Um, I think if you can do that and have a life full of that, that's success. Um, yep. You don't need... I don't know. Some people have expectations, you know, whether their images get seen or recognized or win awards, whatever that, you know, to each their own on that. But um, I think success, like if it's going to be my definition, it has to be like personally meaningful to me. And that would be just like the continuation of it and like surprising myself, I guess, you know, like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know, like, I'm surprised that I can like, accomplish that project i can like you know learn something by doing photography um i think that that a lot is success you know and a lot of what we get out of photography you know especially on the nature photography side it's it's not all just wow look what i've done it's very much an uh introspective process to where we also kind of learn about ourselves so i think if you can do that in any capacity like that to me is success yeah you didn't ask, but I'm going to answer my own question for myself. Cause I, <laughs> cause I, I, was, cause, I was about to. Because I, I was, because I was, as you were talking, I was kind of inspired. But, and my, my answer is like way more simple, but I didn't come to realize it until you, hearing you talk. And it's really just like to be, con to continue to be amazed by nature and 
find happiness in the pursuit of it through photography. Like that's to me, that's success. Like if I can maintain that, that is the ultimate for me. And I think how you get there for every person is a little bit different. But for me, like that happiness piece of it is super important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the driving force with nature photography, right? Like spending time in nature, climbing mountains, uh, exploring, backpacking with friends, you know, like going, sitting under a campfire, um, you know, just, yeah, adventures like that. So, I mean, if you, if that's what nature photography enables and that brings you happiness, then hey, that's, that's success to me too. Yeah. Well, speaking of success, I was hoping you could maybe tell us about two of your favorite images and the story that goes behind them. Yeah, the sure. story that goes um, with it. Yeah, sure. I'll try to try to explain some of those. So um, there's two that I that I chose that are on my website that I have under some personal favorites. Um, one of them I just kind of added on there today so I could do this. But um, so I'll start with that one. It's a it's a pinhole photograph and it's called the Forest of Reflection. And it's a black and white photo that shows um, this headstone in a cemetery with these trees kind of up above it. Um, And it very much looks like this like box of mirrors, but it's this, you know, shiny headstone in in this cemetery. And that that place, I think, kind of symbolizes a lot of my approach to photography and kind of behind the scenes of it. That that photograph was just taken in a cemetery when I used to live in Park City up in northern Utah. And it was a place that I would like go to write a lot. It would be like this like quiet place that's tucked away in these aspens that I was able to like strangely find this super clarity and super focus. And I just went to like look at some trees there one day. But then I was like, whoa, wait a second. Like I feel something different here. Um, And there was a few benches on these walkways and I could walk there from my house. So I would like start walking there. And after a while, I started like taking some photos there. And to me, that was like this place where I felt very, not only connected with nature, but like connected with my own thoughts and my own um, kind of drive and inspiration behind photography. And I don't know, it just became very clear. And so, you know, I was like, well, why not like try to do a whole like series of like some of these pinhole photos through here. And so that process was pretty simple. I found like that one, you know, the composition again was a guess and just kind of like you kind of guess on exposure time mostly. And the image itself wasn't so clear. So it was kind of this like contrast with kind of my clarity that I found. And it looks like a mirror, which is, you know, hence the title. Um, So yeah, it just like that one simple image kind of embodies everything that, that I kind of look for in nature, kind of like, my own connection with the place. That's, um, it's a really cool photo. Yeah. And interesting, huh? So like no lens on there and right. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, no yeah. tricks. Like no complaining about how sharp it is. No, no. Like, no oh, this no. lens is not very sharp. Yeah. And it was just like the, like, yeah. Right. Like <laughs> it's a really sharp one pinhole. Like <laughs> um, it, it just had like, yeah, I guess that, that feeling of everything that I like look for in photography of a connection of place and self and on the simplest way possible. And so that's, you know, happens to be like something I kind of come back to. Um, the other one is the very first image in that whole like collection of favorites. Um, 
It's an image that was out in the kind of near the West desert of Utah. It's out in this, um, it's this like tree it's called, uh, when words weren't enough. And that place is so like Topaz internment camp. It's where all the Japanese, in, uh, were gathered essentially in, in an internment camp in world war two. And kind of during that time, you know, they're living under pretty harsh conditions. Like that's up near Delta, Utah, the place, like, I don't know, on most days really isn't that beautiful. Um, at the time of the internment camp, it was kind of like downwind from all their raw sewage that was there, like, you know, and in social conditions, like pretty harsh, pretty, uh, unjust and unfair. But like through that, through that time, I think they were there for a few years, the, the Japanese, um, you know, prisoners, whatever they were, they, they decided instead of to like, just kind of like sit around and like complain about everything, they, they looked for beauty. They started an art school. They had different students that would come through there in this art school. They had exhibitions. One of the Japanese that was there, his name is Chiro Obata. He's a pretty well-known Japanese uh, painter. He's got a famous painting called um, Topaz Moon of the moonrise, like kind of over this like Topaz internment camp. And I was out there on a, I was out there and I went to this like museum that was out there. They have the whole Topaz internment camp uh, museum in, in Delta. And they have this art display of all the different artists and all this artwork that was created during that internment time. And after the internment camp, they had hid all that artwork and it was never seen until 2015 when they opened oh, wow. this gallery. And it was, I don't know, like it was powerful. Um, they, those artists chose to see beauty under yeah. probably the most ugly conditions, you know, like visually and socially and like humanely, but they put that all aside and saw beauty. And so I was like, I don't know, pretty, pretty inspired by that. Like, you know, I'm walking through the gallery, like good thing nobody was there. I'm like, you know, in tears and like, <laughs> like looking at all these images and paintings and different styles. And I was like, you know what? I want to, I want to go out to Topaz. I want to go out there. And so I drove out there. It was like 95 degrees. There's gnats. There's no CMs. There's bugs everywhere. It's hot and windy. And it's kind of like in the mid evening and all the, all the internment camp has since been taken down and there's like rubble out there. There's like glass and like some shards here and there and stuff. And there was like this one, like kind of lone tree set up against the mountain back there. You know, this tree is like long since dead, just kind of the skeletal remains. And like, there was some different light. Um, you know, that photo is definitely not uh, like true to color. Like I definitely like had my artistic touch on that, but that's like what I intended for that one. But the scene was there, this backlit grass, this tree, this beautiful tree and like set up against like this evening, evening light on the distant mountains. And it was just like simple. And it just kind of reminded me and like still reminds me today, like to, yeah, just kind of choose to see beauty out there. Like it may not be obvious. You don't have to have it obvious, but just because it's not obvious doesn't mean it's there. And, you know, beauty is definitely like how you choose to see things. And so yeah, that, that one I just think stands out. Reminds me of one of my favorite books that I read in um, undergrad. It's called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And it's he was a psychiatrist, uh, a Jewish psychiatrist in World, you know, World War II. And he and his family were taken to a Nazi you know, 
concentration camp um, and like the conditions were completely terrible, but kind of the same idea. Like he chose to focus on like what he had control over and um, the experience of being there. And he developed like a whole philosophical approach to life, you know, and now it's known as existentialism, but like that, that book is very much reminds me of what you're describing. Yeah. It's, I I can't even imagine the, how it was to be there. And like, I mean, and still the impact, like you go out to like such a place and even with nothing there, you can just like, I don't know, you can like feel a soul. And then, you know, if you ever get a chance to see like that gallery, it's pretty impressive because all these different people that were there had these different artistic backgrounds. So the landscape is represented in all these different, you know, like styles of art, you know, there's, I don't even know some of the names of all these styles, but you know, they're, they're painting like power lines, they're painting buildings, they're painting still lifes, they're painting landscapes, all in these different styles. And, you know, and again, it's like this interpretation of the landscape around you in different ways. And, you know, it's not just the landscape around you. It's like how you choose to see it. You have a photo of yours. It's probably one of my favorite photos that I've ever seen. And uh, what I love about it is that it, the image has a lot of imperfections, but those imperfections are actually what make the image stand out. And I, that's like the best way I can describe it, but it's called Bryce Wonderland. And I was oh, wondering if you could yeah. talk a little bit about that photo. Cause like every time I see it, I'm like, <laughs> Oh, that's, that's Eric's photo. Like let's, it's just yeah. like, it's very like in my brain. So can you tell us a little bit about that image? Yeah, sure. Um, that day was crazy. Um, that was, you know, and even, even with that image, like I learned a lot about my own photography just from looking at that image. Um, it, you know, to kind of set the scene for everybody, I mean, it was October. I'm in Bryce Canyon. It's like a little bit after sunrise and it's like 10 degrees. There was maybe a skiff of new snow on the ground. And, you know, if it's 10 degrees and it was a storm is clearing, like there's ice crystals in the air and sun's rising and there's all that like snow glitter, you know, especially as you're kind of looking directly into and under the sun. And I had chosen, instead of like photographing from like the rim of Bryce Canyon, I chose to kind of like go for a hike down in the Canyon that day for sunrise. Um, and made a few other images that are like, still have some of those like visual qualities of like kind of this like backlit glowing ice crystals in the air with these forms behind them. And then I was, I'd made a few that I'd kind of had my eye on and I would continue to just kind of walk down the trail And I noticed out in the distance, like there was this one little pocket where there was some like blue ambient reflected light out of there. There was these backlit crystals. There were this like, I mean, it was pretty chaotic throughout there. And then I could barely like make out the shape of like one distinct kind of tree. If I remember, like, I'm not looking at the image right now, but it's like over on the right hand side and it's kind of like sticking out. And I don't know, it was like an example of what we were talking about earlier. Something caught my eye. I looked at it photographed, like tried to grab focus through the ice crystals falling, thought I had it, took one shot and it was like, okay, that's cool. But it didn't really like stand out at the moment. I literally have one frame of that. I did not like, I don't even remember checking to make sure I had that tree in focus. That was, I think, luck. Um, Cause it was, you know, obviously pretty easy for focus to jump around through all those crystals and stuff. So um, yeah, I mean, other than that, it's like pretty straightforward on there um it seems like a maybe a telephoto with a shallower depth of field 
maybe? Yeah, I think it was still like F11, but it was, you know, 250 or 300 right. millimeters through there. And, you know, like looking through a pretty heavy section yeah. of like ice crystals all backlit, you know, and with some different, like the different qualities of light that are in Bryce. And so it's just like, yeah, red, orange, blue, yellow through there with like tree forms, rock forms, and then it just kind of fades off. And there were ice crystals fur- further away and closer. So, you know, you get the bigger halos, smaller halos, you know, pinpoint um, focus on there. And yeah, I got lucky. I only have that one photo. Like had I missed that probably would have kicked myself. Um, but you know, it kind of speaks to, I guess, kind of like, I get like, I get this like trusting your intuition sense from that photo. Like, I mean, I remember seeing it, I remember photographing it, but it must've been intuition. Otherwise I would have like spent time and made like 10 images and made sure I like had focus on that thing before I moved on. And I didn't. And I even looked at the timestamps of the photos, like the one before and the one after it was literally like something I saw while I was hiking, leaned over quick snap, got it. And like the scene was cool to my eye and what I saw and like of the overall experience that morning. But yeah, it wasn't something I like sat there and spent 15 minutes on and tried to really nail down. It was like, kind of that intuition, like the eye of the intuition, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, it's like I said, it's, I'm a big fan of that particular image. Um, obviously you have a lot of other really cool images too, but that one, for whatever reason, it's like every time I see it, I'm excited. And that's, yeah, I always so. think, I'm like, oh, that's Eric. <laughs> you yeah. know, so that's always, yeah. that's a good thing. No, thanks. I appreciate that. And that was, you know, that, that experience, like that out, that morning out in Bryce, like, I was so cold. It was 10 degrees. It was October. You know, you're not like ready for that kind of frigid air in Bryce Canyon yet. And uh, yeah, so I mean, like my fingers were cold. My face was cold that morning, but like there weren't very many people. I don't think I saw a single person for three or four hours. And so just kind of felt isolated there. I felt like I was among the cold and I felt like, I don't know, that was like a pretty magical morning from like the instant the sun came up until the moment I hiked back up to the rim and like almost back to the car. Like that whole day, like was a standout. Oh, I love the, I love days like that. Like those are the days yeah. to live for right there. Yeah. Cause then there's been like 90 other days where it's not been like that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Yep. No, for sure. No doubt. It's funny. We actually haven't talked at all about, I feel like it's one of the key aspects of your kind of your development as a photographer in that you worked for a while um for for thomas mingleson in park city yeah and um for those that might not know he's a pretty (laughs) well-known uh nature and wildlife photographer um who sells like i don't know some pretty expensive prints in his galleries and so love for you to talk a little bit about what that experience was like um and and kind of how that kind of transformed you as a photographer yeah um you know and we honestly could probably do a whole podcast on just that but that's right (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot there but yeah so i i had a had the opportunity to work for thomas mangelson in the gallery in park city um and then was the gallery director there in park city and i worked at the gallery for three years and you know for i guess for most people probably know who he is. And if you don't, I guarantee you've seen his image before. Um, the bear catching the fish on the waterfall, 1988, like the most iconic wildlife photo of all time. Like you've seen the photo. Um, 
so people, you know, he, he has quite a few galleries throughout the United States and has had a long career. And, you know, that gallery alone was the second largest one, you know, behind their Jackson Hole gallery. Um, and so I had a chance to, to not only work, you know, for him and understand like the process behind his work and sell his photos, teach other people to sell the photos, learn the stories, you know, tell the stories, convey that passion that he has and why those photos matter and those stories, you know, onto ultimately the buyer and anyone just visiting the gallery. And then, you know, training staff on how to actually tell those same stories and why those stories matter and, you know, breaking down the things in the photos that actually matter. And it was, it was amazing because, you know, not only like, I like the stories behind the photos, but, you know, I had a, a, a second bit of that understanding, you know, when it comes to photography of like, well, here's some things that he's doing in his photos that, you know, maybe that not everyone picks up on, but here's why those work, um, you know, and here's, you know, and as far as like, I guess, like even laying out the gallery, like I was the one ordering all the photos, choosing which ones to show where in the gallery and hanging those and taking people on kind of like a visual journey as they walked through the gallery. And, you know, ultimately, like, not only telling his story, but telling the story of like, all that he he doesn't care about, like his story, he cares about nature's story, you know, like his, his whole motto, if he could summarize it would be, you know, give the animals a voice. That's all he wants, you know, whether it's like grizzly bears for conservation. Um, you know, he, he has the Ansel Adams Conservation Award and his whole philosophy was, yeah, give the animals a voice. And his way to do that was with a camera. Like it really is as simple as that. And if it takes, you know, an evocative image of a grizzly bear catching a fish or a tiger laying in the forest in the light or some massive grizzly charging for you, you know, with claws, um, you know, then that's how that's accomplished. And, and, uh, People have been collecting his work, you know, 40, 40 plus years. Um, I don't know. There's, there's a lot to learn, you know, whether it's like, I think another thing you were kind of asking earlier um, was about say kind of like what people, the general public wants to kind of, or what they see in photography versus like what photographers see in photography. Um, you know, the general public, they, they don't care about composition. They don't care about digital noise. They don't care about film grain. And they certainly don't care about the camera. Um, what they care about is the story. They want to know, not not the specifics. They don't want to know how the photo was taken. They want to know the story why the photo was taken. Um, they want to know, like, how long did he have to sit there? What was, you know, what was going on, you know, and all of this? And how long did he have to take or wait to get this photo? Um, they want to know more about him as a person because like they buy passion. They can see passion in a photo. I mean, they're pictures of bears, like, you know, or pictures of mountains, like they're a dime a dozen out there. But so why are they buying his? Because he's a lot more passionate about a lot of those bears than a lot of other people are. And he's a lot more passionate about wild places than a lot of other people are. Um, and you learn that that's what people are after, you know, and it's, there's a lot that goes into that, you know, from the photography side. Well, how do, how is, how do we as photographers like get people engaged with these photos? Like it's a pretty simple thing again, you know, like composition, they don't see composition, but you know, they do the best compositions are when people don't even notice. Like you don't need to try to explain a composition. It just feels good. Like it feels right. Like 
the bear feels like he's right there. You can see like that decisive moment. You can like feel this emotion. You can like, I don't know, like when you see people in the gallery, like, you know, like, you know, we flip through on Instagram, you know, we're sitting on our phones. We flip through Instagram. We're like, Oh, cool. Like, okay, cool. Like, okay. Comment like, like in the gallery, people like talk to the animals. They talk to the pictures. They dance, they laugh, they cry. Like they talk to each other. They scream. They like move their body. Like that's an emotional reaction. You know, I've seen people like drive down the street, slam on the brakes, run in the gallery just to like yell bear, you know, like it's insane. Like photos have that power to do that. And the way they do that is with composition, like subject matter, composition, decisive moment, like doesn't need to be complex. It doesn't need to be um, anything fancy. It doesn't need to be a fancy technique. It has to be about like, you know, it starts with the artist with passion and then it, you know, in this genuine love. And then it has to be like, you know, conveyed to the viewer somehow. Beautiful. Do you include any of that type of storytelling um, with your work on your website? Um, I try to with um, not so much on my website. I don't really tell a whole lot of like stories behind those images. I've written some stuff with blogs in the past. Um, I try to definitely on the social media side of things. I try to like give either some, you know, some either like heartfelt moment or, you know, some sort of inspiration or message or something like that, you know, that accompanies the image. You know, I'm, I'm definitely not a fan of saying how a fo- an image was photographed, like what lens, what camera, what setting, like, I don't care. Like, I want to know why, like, I want to know, like, what was it about that day? What was it about you? What was it about, you know, if it's animal, like, what are you trying to show? Like, I want to know why. And so I think th- behind any image of significance, that story is there. I don't necessarily like type all that story out on my website. Um, I think, you know, what I, I kind of stick to that in like the writings about the images. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a good question. It's an interesting, I've, I've definitely thought about that though, of, of trying to do that, but it does kind of get to a different point of, you know, the same thing I was mentioning in the gallery, like it has to be like this image is kind of like this meeting ground for two different people. You know, none of those people looking in the gallery, know the artist. He doesn't even live there. He's not in the gallery. They can't talk to him, but what they can see is his passion. And that image is like the middle ground. They can hear the story behind it. And, you know, when people buy these images of a single bear or a bear with, you know, three cubs, you know, who buys images of bears with three cubs? Moms do, you know, like (laughs) they're not bear lovers, they're moms. So why do they buy those? It's pretty obvious, right? Like, because they see themselves in that. And that image is kind of like that middle ground, you know, where it's these, we've, we sold like these big images of Colorado with these snow capped mountains and yellow Aspen trees down below. Like we'd sell those to people all over the place. You know why? Cause they had a vacation in Colorado and that's what brings them back. Yeah. They don't know anything about the artist maybe, or they just know about his passion for wild places, but that image is the middle ground. You know, it allows them to have their own experience and it allowed the artist to have their own experience. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, wrapping things up, got two more questions for you. Yeah. First question is, tell us about your uh, Day with an Artist workshop and your slow photography retreat. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, just to mention kind of quickly there. So like I do 
with photography professionally, I have um, my business Horizon Photo Tours where it's just me on there and I do photography workshops and, and some tours and such. Um, I, I'm the only one doing those. So it keeps me you know, busy with different aspects of that. Um, one of those is, you know, along the lines of kind of the, some of this uniqueness we've been talking about is a day with an artist workshop. So traditionally, if you were to go on a workshop with someone, it's like at a specific location, you're photographing a certain th- subject, you're photographing a certain like or learning a technique of some sort. This workshop is more learning how an artist actually or a, ph- a photographer like approaches shooting images in the landscape from start to finish. You know, you join me like there's not going to be an itinerary. It's following me like pretend I'm going out on my own for a full day of photography. I'm going into Zion somewhere or like, you know, wherever I choose to go, kind of chasing a light or something like that. Um, how do I find those locations? How, what, what, in, what instinct like tells me to go over to this one place? When, when do I stop going to that place? Um, how do I go about like finding those images to begin with? You know, how much exploring goes into it ahead of time? How much sitting and waiting on one thing, you know, they get to like watch someone actually in the process of making images kind of unrestricted instead of sitting there following kind of a scripted like timeline or scripted agenda or a location checklist of some sort. That makes sense. Yeah. It's, yeah uh, so that's, and it's very fluid and very much. I'm, and I'm guessing like every single experience is really different. Oh, very much. Yeah. And you know what I like have to keep in mind, like the person I'm with, you know, and, right. um, some of their physical abilities maybe, but you know, I mean, most of photography isn't that physically challenged, but you gotta, gotta get out there a little bit. Um, yeah. And the other one is, so a slow photography workshop that's based up out of Capitol Reef there, and that's in the fall. And that is, again, a little bit different from a traditional workshop. We're not chasing sunrise. We're not chasing sunset. There is no, like, wake up at dawn, and there's no coming back after dinner. It's breakfast, and then go out and kind of shoot, like, as we mentioned right away, you know, there you can shoot, like, other than golden hour. Um, and taking the approach of, like, slower... You know, so say in the morning on day one, we're going to shoot like focus on like intimate scenes. And then later in the day, we're going to shoot some telephoto scenes. And then the next day, we're going to go out and we're going to shoot and focus on some creative photography. And then the next evening, I think there's another topic I can't, I don't have off the top of my head. And then the following day, we're going to take like a whole slow photography hike to where we're going to start at 10. And the place we go is actually best, you know, like nine, 10 in the morning up through midday and just kind of like, teach that and that there is you don't have to go out and rush you don't have to go out in the middle you know or golden hour you don't have to like chase conditions like it's very much as we've talked about this whole time like you know a little bit of what you see and a little bit of engagement with the place and letting those scenes kind of flow and come to you love it yeah so those that's coming up in october up in capital reef and the other one is just uh you know one dm or one email away so yeah nice (laughs) No, that's perfect. Uh, all right. Well, lastly, who would you recommend our listeners learn more about or who we should try to get here on the podcast? Yeah. So um, I think like two people that you should like learn more about. Um, there's a guy out of Chile down in South America. His name's Paulo Duamata and, or no, Paulo Vivaldi. I'm sorry. <laughs> is it and Val- Instagram Val- name is Duamata. Valdivia. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, 
I've chatted with him a lot on Instagram over the last several years, and he's he's a very thoughtful photographer that is particular and knowledgeable about compositions and his local area. Um, I learned a lot from him and have been inspired by his work and his attention to like the immediate landscape. Um, yeah, for quite some time. And he makes like fantastic images and usually like, you know, quotes aside, like when he speaks and talks about that, it's, I, I really, really enjoy his responses to when I post something or discussions that we have. And I know a lot of other people like read those as well um, and, and gain insight from that. So he would be fascinating. Um, another person is my friend Prajit. Um, I can never pronounce his last name either. <laughs> Ravindan um, out of Salt Lake City. He's His Instagram is the I Rock Utah, but you probably know him more so now for like a lot of his moon, um, crescent moon type images. Um, he used to, he's got an interesting transition, you know, he's been photographing for a long time now too, and has done some art fairs and such, but he started off as a night photographer, like a really good night photographer. And then suddenly, you know, a couple of years back, he, he made this like transition over to intimate scenes, kind of seemingly out of nowhere. And I've had a chance to shoot with him quite a few times, you know, from in different areas of Utah. And I, I talk to him a lot. I bounce images off back and forth with him a lot. Um, he's, is very, I guess, like technically well-spoken when it comes to photography. He, he knows what he's talking about. Um, his images, it's, I guess, I think it's rare to find people who are both excellent technically, but also have this poetic language. Um, he has that. Yeah. I've been following him for a while and I really like his stuff too. So I appreciate actually both those photographers are awesome recommendations. Yeah. And, you know, I can tell you from shooting with Prajit, like quite a few times, like I get a lot of inspiration from shooting with him and, you know, it's fun to push him a little bit. And, you know, I've, I, I like enjoy my time shooting with him. Um, the third person, I don't know, I'll try and help you out. Uh, get Mangelson on here. See if, see if he's like, I don't know, maybe he's got some free time sitting around his cabin up in Jackson and maybe you can jump on. He's, he's a, <laughs> he'd be an interesting guy to talk to. Um, he's, obviously like like i said kind of kind of well known but um has been in the industry a long time and i don't think people realize like how many landscape photos that he has probably sold even though he's known as a wildlife photographer i i wouldn't hesitate to say that he's sold more landscapes than peter look has um there's been people collecting his work for a long time and he used to shoot landscapes on a big fuji 617 film camera and actually is one of the very few wildlife photographers to use a Fuji 617 as well. Um, the guy knows what he's talking about on film. And if anyone ever wants to see, um, oh, what was his book? I, I'd have to, I can't remember the actual book name. It's blank in me, but he's got a panoramic photography book. Um, that's a vertical flipping book of all panoramics in there. And that's like, easily oh, cool. it's like, um, I can't remember the name. I, I should know, but <laughs> that's a cool um, idea. It's one of the better photography books you'll see. Everything was on on film on there, and all Fuji six seventeen. Um, and the wildlife photography, like some of that, won't be replicated. Right. So yeah, we'll we'll see what we can do. I love it. Well, Eric, this has been tremendous. Yeah, man. Thanks. I've been. I really appreciate it, and you know, I've appreciated like all the guests that you've had on, and all the effort that you've put into this, like. I know personally, I've gained a lot from listening and listening to you and your guests, like have all these podcasts that you've done. So thank you. 
Yeah, of course. It's a labor of love, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you to Eric for the very fun conversation here on the podcast. Keep up the great work. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find a bonus episode over on Patreon where Eric shares some very practical advice for photographers that he learned while working with Thomas Mengelson as his gallery director, including image curation, what buyers are looking for in prints, and so much more. Patreon is an excellent way to help sustain the podcast financially while getting access to early episodes, bonus episodes, and so much more. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash f-stop and listen to help keep the podcast alive. That's patreon.com forward slash f-stop and listen. We have a goal to reach 200 patrons by the end of September, which means we need eight more supporters. Will you step up and help the podcast stay alive? I'd really appreciate it. Speaking of Patreon, I have to thank our most recent supporters who have pitched in to keep the podcast going. I want to thank Norman McCloskey and Hank Rourke. Thank you both for helping out. I really appreciate you. And a huge shout out to our Patreon producers. You're all amazing. Well, let's talk about what's coming next. We have four women in a row coming on the show, including night specialist Marsha Kirschbaum, ICM and multiple exposure expert Valda Bailey, wildlife and conservation photographer Deidre Rosenberg, and portrait and abstract artist Karen Waller. Thanks for all of your support to keep the show going. That's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week. Mm -hmm.